Hey there, Pages. This is Toby. I am recording from TTRL Mobile HQ today. That is the back of the camper. We are parked in somewhere United States. So I apologize if there's any road noise or cops knocking on our window telling us to move. Uh, that's on me. And thank you for your patience. Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 137 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hey. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hey. Guess what? Toby's back. Yay. We found him. Oh, yeah. Well, we should do this every single episode I'm on from now to be like, guess what? <laughs> Surprise. I was just he thinking, made it back. every other time it's a reunion. Yay. Love it. This is the kind of celebration I wish people went into every single time I walked into a room. We've started this new thing, new game with our baby who's started walking that whenever she walks into a room, we say, ta-da, and, and clap, and she <laughs> loves it. <laughs> so we should start doing yeah. that for you. Perfect. I love it. Me and Maggie, we're about the same level of emotional development, I think. Oh, definitely. I'm way behind. <laughs> Toby, where in the world are you? What's what's your update on RV life? Yeah, we are in uh, Jackson, Wyoming, which is just south of Grand Teton uh, National Park. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're here. It's rainy and cold, but the park was beautiful and uh, I have a lot of shame. So that's how my life is going. Like book shame or like like life shame? You know what? I'll only report on the book shame uh, today. Fair. Well, what book shame could you possibly have in Jackson, Wyoming? Well, you know, I, I really want to shout out a, a special shame, a spe- extra special shame. Our friend Kenzie joined us. She's a listener of the podcast. Hi, Kenzie. For our little stint in Olympic National Park in Washington. And her friend, Asha, who is also a listener of the podcast, Apejo. Hi, Asha. Um, gifted us some shame. So thank you, but no thank you. Uh, <laughs> she was kind enough to give us... Um, um, the book Writers and Lovers by Lily King. And I am very excited to read it. I had to live through the experience of my wife, Louise, reading it first. And this is just not something she does with every book, but she was literally reading it and laughing out loud all the time and then saying things like, wow, so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> apropos of that, so I would be like, I was reading something else and then just be like, ha ha ha. Oh, wow. So good. <laughs> So I am. Uh, I'm very excited to read that book. That's great. That's probably the the best review Lily King could could ask for. I think. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I have other shame, but we can go through it in an official shame segment. Well, let's start off the shame segment. I mean. All right. We'll start it off. Billy, do you have any shame? Uh, good diversion. Guys, um, welcome to the shame spiral. <laughs> shame spiral. Oh, I like <laughs> the that. The shame spiral. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, to start off our weekly shame spiral, I went to a little free library, um, which has become kind of a daily ritual since there's one outside my house. Uh-huh. And I think one of my neighbors subscribes to Book of the Month because I've been getting some good books there, which is not good for my shame spiral. So I just picked up The Maidens by Alex Michalides, which looks mm. good. It looks like one of those um, kind of like the secret history, like smart people doing creepy things. And I picked up The, the Library Book by Susan Orlean from a little free library. Wait, which book did you get from Susan Orlean? The library book. Yeah. No, I got no, I got it from the library, but what book is it? 
And I hear really good things about that one. I don't know if you've read that one, Toby. No. What is she? What is her uh, her big book, Susan Orlean? I know that name. Orchid Thief. The Orchid Thief. Okay. And she's big on getting wine drunk on Twitter. It's awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and then last but not least, um, we went to the local bookstore. Dylan picked up Harlem Shuffle by Colson Whitehead, which I may or may not read. You know, I don't really like detective books. What? But apparently it's really like, like a family drama. But you like Pulitzer Prize winning crime books. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And then I got the new Sally Rooney, Beautiful World, Where Are You? I, I found a copy finally. But... But I didn't get the bucket hat. They didn't have if it. If you didn't get the bucket hat, why are you talking to us right now? <laughs> oh, and why are you not looking on. for the bucket hat? Beautiful bucket hat, where are you? <laughs> so, yeah, that is my shame. Um, I'm spiraling. Uh, uh, Andrew, do you have any shame? No, I'm perfect and I have no shame. Ooh, okay, okay. All right, all right. Yeah, Toby, huh? You bet you thought you had more time. Balls <laughs> in no. your court. All right, I'll be, I'll be the little tight corkscrew end of the shame spiral. This is way back in the day, literally the day after we recorded the last episode I was on, we went to Powell's City of Books in Portland and I had been to bookstores since the pandemic, <laughs> I think, like in a safe way, but they had been really small bookstores. This was the first like, Mondo, incredible, like city block size bookstore I've been into since all the craziness. And it, I forgot how much I loved it. Like, because the specificity of stuff they have in there was so incredible. It was amazing. So I walked out with some shame. Um, so I have three books. The first one is called Whiskey Tales by Jean Ray. Uh, it was like one of those cool bookstore things where they have a little tag where it's like, if you like X, try this. So this one was, if you like H.P. Lovecraft, try Jean Ray. Mm. So scary stories for the horror not the racism right yes <laughs> also um my wife got a copy of undaunted courage meriwether lewis thomas jefferson and the opening of the american west by stephen e ambrose which i think you can guess what that's about uh, and i've already read it and it's four stars it was pretty good mm. that book featured in an episode of sex in the city that i watched recently who was reading it uh, Will Arnett and uh, Miranda have like a one episode fling and they, they meet bonding over uh, over nonfiction books. And that one is referenced. That tracks. That Here's tracks. the thing. You can't go to the Ambrose. Yeah. <laughs> And the last uh, one I got is My Struggle, book number one by Carl Ove Nausgaard, um, which is something that a couple of my friends seem to be into. And I've always been curious about because they, they're always in like European airports. I feel like these books, he's up to number five or something now. So I'm interested to give it a shot. I am so curious to hear about that book because, yes, I see it everywhere. And there's just something funny about like My Struggle, volume five. I know. <laughs> Well, also, if you see it in a European airport where it's like, huh, they don't have a German version of My Struggle. I know. I I wonder if he's trying to, like, reclaim the title or something. I don't know. I know nothing about this book. But, I mean, I think it's like an autofiction thing, but that's all I know. The German inside baseball for this is Mein Kampf means My Struggle. And it's the name of Adolf Hitler's book. And, and, and if you like H. Plume, <laughs> if you like Mein Kampf, please leave the store. <laughs> please leave the store. Oh, Brings Lord. it full circle. Uh. Okay. I do have a camping audiobook story if you guys would like to hear it. I do. I would love to. My wife and I have been reading audiobooks together as we drive the many, many miles that you need to drive for a trip like this. And one of the first books we picked was something that we both remembered having read when we were kids, but didn't remember anything about. Did any of you read the book Sabriel by Garth Nix? No. 
No. Does it have like a dragon on the cover? Yeah, that sounds familiar, right? It has like a really stylized drawing of this young woman. She looks like she's kind of wearing a kimono and she has a belt, like a bandolier of bells on and a sword. Oh, okay. It's pretty cool. Anyway, the the interesting thing is not that we uh, read that audiobook. The interesting thing is that it's narrated by Tim Curry. Uh, Ooh, which fine. I didn't realize. And we got about halfway through and we were just like, man, like, the monsters in this book are so scary and like the voices are so dynamic and cool. But I kind of hate Sabriel. Do you kind of hate Sabriel? <laughs> and it turns out like I don't think Tim Curry knows how to do like a friendly, happy voice because <laughs> all of Sabriel's lines are like, uh, open the door. <laughs> it's so, it was so rough. And we ended up not loving the book because she comes off as so mean and petty to everyone. And I truly don't know if it's because she's written that way or because Tim Curry uh, performed her that way. How dare you say that Nigel Thornberry is the friendliest person? That's true. That's true. I don't know. Then maybe he, maybe this is how Tim Curry read that character and, and that's what he wanted to do with her. I think Pennywise is pretty friendly. <laughs> true. <laughs> that's he loves true. kids. Um, okay, well, that is a good tip, Toby. It's important, you know, to watch out for Tim Curry in your audiobooks. Yes, it is. Uh, surprising Tim Curry is the most shocking Tim Curry of all. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how it's been to listen to the episodes without being there. Was it hard for you to listen to the Kate Bush game and not participate? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, very much. Uh, that was a great game. That was a great episode. Uh, it doesn't make me sad or lonely at all to listen to those episodes. So uh, thanks for asking. No, no, it's just at the guys, we do a pretty good podcast. You guys were great. Aw. You're so funny. I did miss you on that one particularly because I know you love Kate Bush, so I feel like you would have you would have crushed us. I know, it's stung. And yeah. Dublin. Yeah. Oh true. Did you read Conversations with Friends and you didn't like it? Yes, I did read it. I wanted to give like a little mini review because the whole last episode or half of it was about it. So I don't want to waste a bunch of time uh, with my needless thoughts on it. And the way I thought I could distill my thoughts down to the smallest bit was to say, Bailey, there was a moment in your review where you talked about normal people where you said that you just kind of got tired of the will they won't they Mm -hmm. um, of those two main characters and it just kind of made you tune out not tune out the back half of the book but you just weren't interested in that Mm -hmm. the similar thing happened for uh, my wife and I reading this book on audiobook where I just found myself not caring about how these characters lives turned out pretty early in the book and I think it has to do with likability you guys seem to like them more than me um and yeah, so it really affected my my enjoyment of the book. I think I really liked the fact that I liked the characters in Normal People. Mm. So I gave it three stars. So a different opinion. That's good because that's a lot of the critiques you see on Goodreads are like, I don't like these characters. Mm-hmm. I can't get into it. So you represent that crowd, Toby. And that's no, important. No, I hate to go with the crowd. No. <laughs> ha! You thought you'd be going against the crowd by not liking it. But in fact, we were actually against the crowd. <laughs> and you are now with the crowd. Ha ha ha. Well, I don't know a lot about the book you had to read this week, Toby, but I get the feeling that Senor Vivo might not be a normal person. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. Um, this week I had to read Senor Vivo and the Coca Lord by Louis de Bernay. Uh-huh. Guess what? He's British. <laughs> yeah. I'll get to that. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Um, super overdone logline time, but that fits in with this book, so there we go. <laughs> Louis de Bernier's Senor Vivo and the Coca Lord is an attempt to mix magical realism, Greek myth, Don Quixote, bathroom humor, softcore pornography, and as much South American culture as possible into the tale of Dionisio Vivo, a colorful professor of semiotics and philosophy who enrages the dominant cocaine lord by writing excoriating 
circulating letters about the cocaine trade and publishing them in a national newspaper. This does not sound good. It sounds like a story I've heard hundreds of times before. (laughs) (laughs) A tale as old as time, as they say. So I'm, yeah, I'll just get into the the plot a little bit. Before you do that, Toby, what brought you to this book? Mm -hmm. Like what made you want to read it? The cover. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. um, I I'm glad you asked that question because this is like a very to read list book for me. I used to have the physical copy. I think I got it at a library book sale. It's cool. It had like cats on the cover and like human faces. And I don't know. I really liked the color design, the cover design. I looked at the back and it said magical realism in South America. And I was like, I'm into all this stuff. Sounds cool. I'll grab it. And I'm here to tell you that sometimes, Pedro's, it's okay to let those decisions go. And you don't <laughs> have to read every single book that you picked up from a library book sale. Anyway. <laughs> So here we go. While the the narrative for this one, the plot goes kind of all over the place, but the main thrust of the story is concerned with Dionisio Vivo, and he is a a very manly, manly intellectual, and his campaign of letters against the cocaine trade that is ruining his unnamed Central or South American country. They reference the fact that they're somewhere in Latin America a lot, but they never name the country. I think that's very intentional. Dionisio is supposed to be a happy-go-lucky guy who represents all that's good about his particular culture. And the coca lord, um, who goes by the name El Jerarca, is cartoonishly villainous, and he's a clear analog for Pablo Escobar. So that's that. What? (laughs) (laughs) Say what? Um, A side note here. I kept seeing this title. I never, I guess, read it in detail, but I kept seeing it as the coco lord. That's what I thought it was. I thought it was about chocolate. Yeah, me too, honestly. Anyway, very different story. Mm -hmm. Besides the conflict between these two guys, um, which mostly consists of Dionisio writing letters and then El Jararca sending men to kill him but failing, um, there's also a love story uh, between Dionisio and his much younger love interest, Anika. The story starts with a very strong focus on the campaign of letters. Near the middle, it goes completely into the love story and and kind of ignores um, the letters plot. And then at the end, it swings back to focus on the conflict again. So, So throughout the whole story, there are very strong elements of magical realism. One example of this is the fact that Dionysio ends up being gifted two gigantic black panthers that follow him around and protect him. Stuff like that. Same. Literal panthers, right? Actual giant cats, yes. You know, I saw a review of this book online that said, this is a very well-reviewed book, but there's only 200 reviews on Goodreads. (laughs) So someone online said, quote, this is like 100 years of solitude. If Gabriel Garcia Marquez could relax and have a little fun. Oh, no. End quote. I would like to say that this is like 100 years of solitude if it sucked and was also (laughs) offensive and unsettlingly pervy. Get him. It's been a long time since we've had one of these Toby's review, one of these Toby reviews, and I'm so excited. Hit us with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to give you the elves first. I'm going to, I got to give those elves. I am surprised there's more than one. <laughs> um, well, to be honest, my elves are that um, some of the magical realism is done extremely well. And when it's really flowing, there's some really beautiful bits of writing in here. The parts where he's straight up copying Gabriel Garcia Marquez turned out pretty nice. <laughs> That's my elves. Um, <laughs> nice. Nice. The the orcs are that this book, uh, it feels like it was written by an extremely precocious 14-year-old. There's a ton of purple prose. It is unbelievably horny. Um, and there are like really stick out and make you stop reading vocabulary words everywhere, but not in the good way and not even in the way where it makes you want to look them up. It's terrible. <laughs> um, the chapters feel almost schizophrenic because like one chapter will be an attempt at a kind of sexy 
farce and it'll try and be really funny. And then after that, there'll be a really long magical realism soaked description of a town. He just goes through and describes the town and all the crazy magical realism things that happen there. And then after that, which is really what made me turn against this book, there are like disgustingly violent things that happen, like really upsetting, awful, awful things um, related to the cocaine trade that happen in the next chapter. So you get just bounced around and it feels terrible. Five stars, probably. Yeah, I can only guess. Um, The characters are pretty paper thin. Dionisio in particular is the kind of clear author stand-in who is repeatedly described over and over as physically gross, and yet he sleeps with, I think, hundreds of women in this book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So all those factors uh, contributed to me just like grumbling continually while I read this. I was not a good, I was not a fun person to be in like a tiny camper with. So my wife was very patient. Toby, would you say we're not a happy camper? <laughs> wow. I'm just imagining you in separate sides of the camper. Louisa's, <laughs> Louisa's reading Lily King and like, ha ha ha. Wow, that's good. And yeah. you're on the other side being like, rah, Yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. And they're doing the opposite of laughing, grumbling. <laughs> um, and so this this last big orc is that I learned, uh, I was reading and, and Louise was basically asking me like what was making me so upset. And I told her about it. And she was like, oh, isn't that the guy who wrote Captain Corelli's Mandolin? Oh. And I didn't know that. And he did. And then I was like, well, isn't that guy not Central or South American? And it turns out he's not. He is British, extremely British. So in this book, which is the middle of three books he's written in this vein, he does a lot. And I mean a lot of philosophizing about the nature of South and Central American culture, which it feels like he should kind of keep his mouth shut about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He he kind of like analyzes in this way where he's like, I kind of thought of it as the way where it's like somebody goes away for their year abroad somewhere and then comes back and tells you how they know all about the culture there and how this is works this way and this works that way. And oh, they would Get their act together if they could only do this. It is painful to read, and it go and he does it a lot. And and just knowing that he was this super British guy uh, made it extremely cringy for me. So that was like the nail in the coffin for me. I did not enjoy this book. I don't think I hated it as much as uh, the Great and Secret Show. <laughs> so, but it's but it's close. Yeah, Pedro's Sometimes you don't have to read every book on your to read list, and uh, beware of highly rated books with two hundred ratings. I'm giving this one two stars. A big dose. Dose Estrellas. Well, I, I am sorry that the book was bad, Toby, but I am glad to hear your thoughts because they give me joy. Uh, Thank Andrew, you. do you have any facts on this, you know, what seems like a paragon of goodness? Louise something something? Wait to hear his political uh, affiliations. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to shock you. So, Louis de Bernier uh, was born on... We can call him Beignet, right? <laughs> Louis de, de Beignet. I thought you were correcting me. I was like, no, I, I looked this up. I, I spelled it out phonetically. <laughs> Uh, Louis de Bernier was born on December 8th, 1954 in Southeast London. Uh, He had a turbulent school life. This is actually kind of a very sad thing. Uh, Turbulent school life, saying that he and other pupils at the Grenham House School were subjected to hellish abuse, both physical and sexual. The Grenham House School has since been closed, and he only recently came out about it, and a lot of people sort of came out together about sort of the horrible abuses that were going on in prep schools in England at the time. Um... 
He also uh, attended Bradfield College before enlisting in the Army at age 18. However, he left the officer's training program he was in before completing it and returned to school. Uh, he immediately, after leaving uh, university, tried to make it as a writer and worked a couple different jobs, including being a mechanic and a motorcycle messenger. And now it's funny you mention, you know, going abroad because he did. He, uh, huh. he lived in Colombia for a while and worked as an English teacher. And his experiences there, as well as his love for Marquez, which he self-described as parasitic uh, influenced his first three novels. Mm. So you have diagnosed this man perfectly. So parasitic uh, means like plagiarism. (laughs) Yeah. I guess so. Or just like an inability to create your own thing without attaching yourself to him. Cool, cool, cool. I believe I meant plagiaristic, not parasitic. My bad. So his first three novels were the Latin America trilogy is what it's known as. It includes the three books, uh, The War of Don Emanuel's Nether Parts. Cool. Cool. Senor Vivo and the Coca Lord and The Troublesome Offspring of Cardinal Guzman. These works sort of created a buzz for him. It got him on this list for Granta of like young, uh, promising young British writers. And he was had a lot of buzz. And then his next, his fourth book is actually his most famous, which is, as Toby alluded to, 1994's Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Uh, it's by far his most popular work. It won the Commonwealth Writers Prize for Best Book. Um, it got shortlisted for a lot of other things. Um, and it was made into a movie, famously. Nicolas Cage? Yes. Uh, well, let's talk about it now. Captain Corelli's Mandolin was made into a film starring Nick Cage, Penelope Cruz, John Hurt, and Christian Bale. Oh, yeah. Uh, De Bernier was not a fan of the movie. Aside from the soundtrack, he said, uh, <laughs> saying, quote, it would be impossible for a parent to be happy about its baby's ears being put on backwards. Hmm. Ah. I, be- I bet it's better than the book. Have you guys seen the movie? Yes, but I have very vague memories of um, Nick Cage as a romantic lead. That's pretty much it. I think I had, um, you know, back when you only owned so many VHS tapes and yeah. you watch the same preview, the same previews over and over again. Mm-hmm. One of the previews that I've seen probably 30 times is Captain Curly's Mandolin. So I think it's <laughs> sexy. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Eh, romance. Yeah. So that that uh, story takes place on a Greek island um, called Cephalonia, um, which is a real island. Um, and it's become a tourist destination. And Louis also doesn't like that. Apparently, <laughs> one of the like famous bars that he liked there or that he, he visited had changed its name to Captain Corelli's from like some perfectly normal Greek name. And he was very grumpy about that. How dare the locals benefit from my book <laughs> he's not shy of saying what he thinks and hey sometimes it's a good quality and sometimes it's not he is still actively writing uh, he has published a total of 11 novels a short story collection as well as um, some other short fiction and some non-fiction and we've already sort of touched on this he does not shy away from the political sphere and is an avid supporter of brexit continually writing op-eds and articles to that effect um yeah, I, hey, we're not a political podcast. You can tell from our attitude, I think, where we stand on on the like what we what we believe the root causes of Brexit to be and the unsavoriness of that. And we'll leave it there. And he's still as of like a uh, 2021 talking about how uh, England won't miss Scotland if they leave, and oh, just wow. you know letting everybody know what he uh, what he thinks. Yikes! Thanks, Ben Yeh. Yeah. Um, to to take it away from the political realm for a little bit as we wrap up our facts on on Louis uh, when he's not writing he is a musician playing flute mandolin hey oh hey hey 
Hey, uh, clarinet <laughs> and guitar, though he is humble about his skill level. He says he's uh, a very enthusiastic amateur and he suffers from uh, dystonia, which is uh, a difficult to treat motor movement disorder, um, which can make sober, certain motor skills difficult. And he says that affects his playing a bit. De Bernier uh, has two children with his ex-wife, Kathy Gill, and he lives in Suffolk in England. I'm just imagining him at a party whipping out a mandolin and demanding everybody listen to Wonderwall. <laughs> I mean, he is British. He, he definitely knows all the Oasis songs on his mandolin. <laughs> Uh, well, all right. Uh, sometimes you learn about people that are good, and sometimes you learn about people that are not so good. And that was Senor Vivo and the Coco Lord. Two stars. Two stars. And good facts, Andrew. I can't imagine there were a ton of them about this guy. Yeah. Well, jumping in, because uh, Dylan actually reminded me of this. Uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin is not the only uh, movie based on his work. An Australian children's movie, shall we say phenomenon, shall we say franchise, is based on his <laughs> on his work. Um, the movies Red Dog and Red Dog colon True Blue are based on his novels uh, Red Dog and Blue Dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh... That was that was sort of rough, but hopefully we can uh, cross to safety somehow. <gasps> Maybe we can uh, talk to Bailey about what you read. Ooh, good transition, Andrew. Yes, I wrote a book this week. I read the book Crossing to Safety by Wallace Stegner. Crisscross, crisscross. Applesauce. I keep thinking of the old <laughs> Oregon Trail when you have to either cock and float or ford, but you got to cross to safety when you have to cross the river. Oh, we should have done the safety dance. All right. Well, um, Crossing to Safety. So this book, I picked it up because I think I shared this on the last podcast, but when I graduated from high school, my favorite English teacher gave me her favorite book, which is Angle of Repose by Wallace Stegner. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to love it, but I couldn't get into it. And it's one of those DNF'd books, did not finish um, as of like what 2005 and so but but it's still on my list it's actually still literally on the to read list because i have it in my mind that someday i'm going to pick it up and be more into it and i was telling dylan's mom about this my mother-in-law eileen hi eileen and we were at a bookstore and she said oh well what about crossing to safety that's well stegner's more loved book and i was like okay i'll give it a shot it's a lot shorter yeah that's what she said and so i bought it we were at a used bookstore and it was five dollars um and i probably never would have gotten to it were it not for this podcast and i'm glad that i did and Eileen also described that in the 80s or 90s, this was really big in book clubs. This was like the book that the moms talked about at the book clubs, which absolutely tracks for me based on based on the book and its plot, which is interesting. Okay. That must have changed then because I feel like I've seen Angle of Repose in so many bookstores and I've never seen Crossing to Safety. Who knows? Maybe all the moms read it and they're like, everyone's everyone's read it. Maybe. Yeah. I had heard of Angle of Repose also because I think it won the Pulitzer or the Nobel Prize or one of those big... big... It won the, yeah, the Pulitzer, yeah. Yeah. So, and this one did not, but this was also his last novel. Who knows? Who knows why book clubs loved it, but they did according to a reputable source who was a mom in a book club at the time. Um, okay. So, this book is not about a lot. This book is about <laughs> a long-term friendship between two couples. Um, they meet because the husbands are both professors, first-year professors at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. But the couples are the narrator, Larry Morgan, and his young wife, Sally, and then Sid Lang and his wife, Charity. And the book is really just about how they meet, develop a really close friendship that spans decades um, and leads, you know, through their whole lives. And that is the plot. There's not much more to it. Um, And you'd think that that would be 
extremely boring and you would not want to read it at all. And in fact, at first I was a little nervous because every night I would pick it up before I go to bed and I'm like, I'm going to get some reading done. And I would read a chapter and fall asleep. And that would happen night after night. And I thought, you know, I like this book fine. I don't know if I'm going to be able to binge this book or read it in time for the podcast because it kind of just lulls you to sleep. And at one point I said that to Dylan. I was like, you know, this is kind of a, it's fine. It's a good book, but it's kind of slow. And what did you say about it? Well, you said, I'm not surprised. Literally, the cover is of paint drying on a house. (laughs) And I was like, good one, Dylan. But here's the thing. As I got more into the book and as we established the characters more, I got really into it. And I think Mm. I ended up like kind of not being able to put it down and reading it really quickly. And I think this might be the great American novel, you guys. I don't know what it means to be a great American novel. Maybe you guys can tell me, but it it feels what what is a great American novel? (laughs) Didn't you read it two episodes ago? Come on. Hmm? He's suggesting that Blood Meridian is the great. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like America is so uh, America is such a, a shifting thing that almost anything could be the great American novel. Yeah, I do feel like maybe even that phrase is is out of vogue these days. I've, nobody talks about the great American novel anymore. I feel like except for except for Bailey just now. I read a really interesting article how it's not the great American novel anymore. It's the great American screenplay that like people want like they don't want to become famous authors, but it, they used to like. I have a novel in me. Well, I you just I used to hear that expression all the time. Like, I really want to write the great American novel. And I don't know what that means. It's always that. It's never, I want to read the great American novel. Hmm. To like, okay, to try and seriously answer your question, I feel like people who are trying to write the great American novel are trying to capture at least some of like the contemporary spirit of America in their day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like if it was the great American novel of the 50s, you could read it and be like, oh, I, I see a window in time into like a different time in America. And it encapsulates many different points of view of that time. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. I buy that. I buy that. Well, so that's that's essentially what this book is. So these are the things I really loved about it. So once I got into the rhythm, I got really into it, which is interesting considering, you know, there's no real twist. There is a quote twist, but you actually know it from the (laughs) beginning, but you kind of forget that you know it as you're reading. And then you're like, oh, oh, yeah. And as you're uh, reading, while Stegner even talks about like, there's not going to be the conflict you think it's going to be. It's not going to be that one husband leaves the wife for the leaves his wife for the other woman or something like that. But there's going to be something that big that happens. That is exactly what I thought as soon as yeah. you said two couples. I was like, so which of them is going to get with the other person's spouse? Exactly. And he says, nope, it's not going to happen. Nothing like that's going to happen. And nothing like that does happen. And yet it's filled with drama and pathos. And it's just like, I love these characters. I feel like I really understand these characters. And it's wonderful to watch just the everyday conflicts. There's no big overarching mm. betrayals, but just the everyday conflicts. So it's about like the the early versions of Venmo requests. Like, yeah. hey, did you see it? When can you send it? <laughs> well, there is a, a large plot point that has to do with money, which is that Sid and Charity have a lot of money. Um, and Larry and Sally don't have as much money, but Larry is more naturally talented. He's more of a novelist than a mm. professor, perhaps like Wallace Stegner. I don't know. And so, you know, the more wealthy couple gives them money and they're trying to pay them back all the time. So it's not not about Venmo requests. Nice. Yeah. Which emojis do they use? Mm, <laughs> they would use like that weird moon that has like the weird face. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, God. 
Yeah. <laughs> what about the what about the smiley face where it's like his tongue is out, but it's money on the tongue? Oh yeah, uh huh, definitely that one. So it's about connection. Um, it's about the beauty of nature. It takes place both in Wisconsin and in Vermont, and it's about the writing writing process because um, Larry talks a lot about what it's like to write books, both for pleasure and also like he just has to get it out of him. It's just a part of him, and also to support his growing family. Um, and it does represent the time. It talks about what it means to be an intellectual, an artist, a rich man, a poor man, a woman, a man at the time. And it takes place from like 1937 to 1971. So very specific time and obviously like a very specific group of, you know, white, relatively privileged straight people. But it's beautifully representative. Um, And there's some gorgeous writing. I will read a quote. This quote is on page 36. It's talking about um, the moment, not that they met, but that they became really close friends. I have heard of people's lives being changed by a dramatic or traumatic event, a death, a divorce, a winning lottery ticket, a failed exam. I never heard of anybody's life but ours being changed by a dinner party. We straggled into Madison, Western orphans, and the Langs adopted us into their numerous, rich, powerful, reassuring tribe. We wandered into their orderly Newtonian universe, a couple of asteroids, and they captured us with their gravitational pull and made moons of us and fixed us in orbit around themselves. I just love his writing because it starts out very matter of fact. And then he throws in these beautiful descriptions like, you know, yeah, they'll just say like she was warmth or something. And you're like, oh, that's a really interesting way to put it. It's the opposite of the purple prose of of Beignet, I guess. And I also just really loved that it was a story about a friendship. And it kind of reminded me about how at the beginning of the pandemic, Dylan and I were in a pod with Toby and his wife, Louise, and how we're really they were our best friends and you know Aww. our friendship will last forever you guys are you guys are our moons our moons <laughs> our weird moon faces um <laughs> um and it you know made me more excited to read angle of repose i'm kind of excited to give it another shot um and then one other thing i wanted to say about it is as i was reading it i kept thinking about how this might be connected to wallace stegner's life i didn't know much about him but i knew that he was a professor and a writer and so i wondered you know what are the connections between him and Larry? But then in the afterword at the back of the book, um, this is a quote from Wallace Stegner. Andrew, I'm sorry if you have this quote. Talking about how fiction is not, it's not always true to life or how fiction isn't necessarily based on real life. He says, you break experience up into pieces and you put them together in different combinations, new combinations, and some are real and some are not. Some are documentary and some are imagined. It takes a pedestrian and literal mind to be worried about which is true and which is not true. It's all of it not true and all of it is true. And I liked that and it made me think like, oh, I should stop trying to figure out if this is real or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just called you a pedestrian and literal mind. I know, I guess so. All this to say, I really enjoyed this book. I would recommend it to your book club (laughs) or to you. Um, And just know that it takes a bit to get into the rhythm. But once you do, you're in. So I'm going to say five stars. Great American novel. Ooh, nice. Nicely done, Wallace. Wallace. Also, my cat's name, Wallace. Um, Andrew, t- do you have any facts on Wallace Stegner? Not that I want to know what's real and what's not, because that would be pedestrian and literal minded, but. <laughs> Understandable. But yes, I do have some facts. And let's learn about Mr. Stegner. So, Wallace Earl Stegner was born on February 18th, 1909, in Lake Mill, Iowa. He moved around a fair bit as a child, living in Iowa and Utah and Montana and even Saskatchewan for a while, as well as spending his summers in Greensboro, Vermont. Ooh. Now, e- eagle eyed listeners might realize that Greensboro, Vermont 
Why, last episode, that's the tiny town Andrew said he was in where he got his shame from the Ooh. local library bookstore Whoa. and their historical society. Whoa. Small, small world. It is a tiny town. It does not even have a restaurant in it. <laughs> and yet, I was just there and we somehow timed it out with uh, Wallace Stegner's biography, which uh, features Greensboro prominently. Weird. And you picked up some used Weird. books. Maybe they belong to Wallace Stegner. Yeah, maybe he owned the copy of the book Stray City or Olive Kitteridge, which I think were both published after his death. <laughs> Growing up, he was an Eagle Scout. Nice. nice. Um, and he studied undergrad at the University of Utah. He received a master's degree and a doctorate also. Um, those were both from the University of Iowa. And then he went into teaching. Um, he taught at the University of Wisconsin. Interesting. Interesting. Stegner also married Mary Stuart Page in 1934, and they would remain together until Stegner's death in 1993. Soon out of his doctorate program, Stegner published Remembering Laughter in 1937, which was a critical and financial success and received the Little Brown Prize, which launched uh, Stegner's career as a writer, uh, got him some money so he could start working on it, and opened the door also, crucially, uh, to more teaching jobs. So soon after publishing uh, Remembering Laughter, Stegner began teaching at Harvard, and he eventually would go on to establish the creative writing program at Stanford, um, where his, his students would include Sandra Day O'Connor and Ken Kesey, among oh. many, many others. Cool. That is quite the uh, variety in students there. <laughs> yeah, no, they're exactly the same. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> He continued steadily publishing work throughout his life um, across a variety of different genres, including 14 novels, seven collections of short stories slash essays, and numerous works of nonfiction. Uh, his 1971 novel, Angle of Repose, won the Pulitzer, though I should mention that there was some controversy about that book because it used um, quotes from Mary Halleck Foote's unpublished letters, which he acknowledges in the in like the foreword, but some people still haven't gotten over that. So I just wanted to call that out. Mm. But that didn't slow Wallace down. And in 1976, just five years later, uh, his novel, The Spectator Bird, won the National Book Award. He continued to receive m many awards throughout his, his career um, and even actually declined an award from the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, because it, he believed it was too politicized. Ooh. Hmm. Crossing to Safety, uh, as Bailey has alluded to, is uh, semi-autobiographical and was his final published novel in 1987. Aside from his fiction, Stegner was dedicated to protecting the environment and wrote and worked for conservation, specifically uh, things to do with uh, where he lived in the West, uh, in Palo Alto, the area around Stanford, the area around there, and then just in general. Uh, he became very dedicated to um, to naturalism and, and nature writing and then also environmental protection and inspired that in his son, who was also an author named Paige Stegner. Um, who was a naturalist and novelist as well. Stegner died in 1993 due to injuries sustained in a car crash in New Mexico at the age of 84. Wow, mm. 84 car yeah. crash. Uh, many different academic institutions have awards, fellowships, and residencies in honor of Stegner, including, I like this, a residency based in his old house in Saskatchewan. So the house he grew up in for a little bit in his in his youth has now been turned into like a writer's residency in, in Canada. Um, so you can go hang out there. Cool. As, and also a hiking path near his old house near Stanford. Very cool. Yeah. A final fun fact. Uh, I already mentioned that he used Greensboro, Vermont as a setting in several of his works. Apparently, while that's it's fun and it really tickles me. He uh, offended the residents there with some of the characters he placed there uh -uh. and had to take several years away from like uh, from from summering there because he had so become a persona non grata for like use, for using the area in a way that the locals did not approve of. His most famous character from that area, Bernie Sanders. Yeah. I just imagine people glaring at him over the in the non restaurant in the town. 
She's like one of those people that just visit Vermont once and then pretend they know everything about Vermont. (laughs) I also, uh, last fact I'll say about him, uh, he has the title or moniker Dean of Western Writers. That's what people refer to him as. What? I think it's because of his connection to academia and then also the American West. But his own website sort of confusingly is like, well, he also set books in the East. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to make of this. If you ever have like a crossword clue and it says the Dean of Western Writers, it refers to Wallace Stegner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And that's what I found on our on our friend Wallace. Oh, I love that. Good facts. Well, great facts, Andrew. That makes me like Wallace Stegner all the more, even though yeah. I only read books set in the West. So I'm angry now. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. Would you like to play a game? I guess. Yes, please. So... You guys ever make something that's stupid? (laughs) All the time. (laughs) Because what I've done here is I've made something stupid. (laughs) Uh, Love um, it. Love it. Especially when it's based on just getting one person you know to laugh. So the name of this game is Where Wallace At, um, <laughs> uh, which is a reference to The Wire um, and also something that Bailey and Dylan yell at their cat sometimes, mm-hmm. whose name is Wallace. So here's how we're going to play this game. Again, listener, just remember that it is stupid. Um, <laughs> I'm going to read a poorly written paragraph that incorporates the biography of a bunch of different people with either the first or last name Wallace into oh. one person who will be referred to as our hero. Okay. And I was inspired to do this because of de Bernier's uh, sort of amalgamation of a bunch of different Latin American and, and, and South American countries into one. So, and then also Wallace Stegner's name. So I'm combining all the Wallaces into one. Gotcha. Love it. What we're going to do here is I'm going to read this paragraph. You guys take notes okay. of which famous Wallaces you hear, and then you're going to take turns naming them. And if you get a correct Wallace, you get a point. Got it. Got it. All right. This is exciting. This is, again... Where Wallace at? Stupid. (laughs) (laughs) A poet born in Reading, Pennsylvania in 1879, our hero always dreamed of more. He went abroad. After starting a rebellion in Scotland, our hero took to Hollywood and appeared in many films, including Bailey's favorite Clueless, never to be one too laser-focused and forget to look for love. The natural next step was to settle down with the future monarch of Britain, though the romance did lead to his abdication. Tiring of the spotlight for a bit, our hero decided to spend some time writing. A long time. An infinite time. But why stick to just novels? Why not write plays like One Flea Spare and Slaughter City? One stage naturally leads to another, and our hero is notoriously good at performing. In case you were worried, our hero can perform on the basketball court, especially as two separate members of the Detroit Pistons 2004 championship team. Oh no. But sometimes our hero needs to get serious. Serious like the news. And our hero has time to host hourly shows on both Fox News and MSNBC. All in all, our hero may get up to a lot of stuff, but there's still one thing at their core, our Wallace. Oh no. I don't know how well I did. (laughs) I did bad. That is okay because again, and I just, I need to reiterate this for the people at home. This was stupid. (laughs) But here we are. So. Okay. The person who does the best imitation of what Wallace the cat sounds like when he meows can go first. Please. Uh, it's a very good uh, one. Meow. Meow. 
I think Toby's is more accurate and Bailey's is more <laughs> the like voice that you guys have given Wallace. What? Yeah, like the cartoon, the cartoon version of him. Yeah. Uh, so Toby, you get to go first. Who's the first Wallace that you found in this uh, thing? You can go around through the whole paragraph. It doesn't have to be an order of the paragraph. I'm just going to say the two names I have written down and no, it's really say, embarrassing. Well, no, one, one first, one first. Okay. George Wallace? George Wallace does not appear in this paragraph. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Can no, I just no, say the no, other no, one? It's Bailey's turn. It's not, now it's Bailey's okay. turn. I only have one other one. Bailey? Wallace Simpson. Wallace Simpson, yes. The uh, the wife of the King of England, who then was forced to abdicate because she was a divorced woman. Scandal. That is one point. Toby, who else do you have? Wallace Stegner. Toby. <laughs> Toby, Wallace Stegner does not appear in this paragraph. He wrote books for a very long time. Okay. I thought that's you know what, what you were saying. I have some more. I have some more. Wait, no. So you're right. Toby, you're right. You could read this paragraph as containing Wallace Stegner, so I will give you a point for that. Lame. Thank you. That's all I have. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, okay. no. Okay, so Bailey, you do need to get one more correct. Okay, I have William Wallace. Yes, that is William William Wallace, who has who started the rebellion in Scotland. Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn, star of Clueless, uh, or supporting star of Clueless. David Foster Wallace. Yes, he wrote novels for some time, an infinite time, because of infinite jest. And mm. then I, I put Wally Lamb. Because he also wrote novels. I will give you a point for that. That was not intended. And then I put Wolf Blitzer. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely incorrect. (laughs) All right. So I win? That's all you got? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's all you got, Bailey? That's so embarrassing. Zero points. Well, again, I just I do need to reiterate that this was a stupid, dumb game. But let's let's talk about some people that we missed. Wait, did Dylan? Did you get any other ones? Oh yeah, Dylan. Are there any? Was I playing? Well, I was just wondering if you got any that I didn't get. Um, was one of the Pistons Rashid Wallace? Hey, that is correct. That's one point nice. for Dylan. So Dylan has tied with Toby, and he didn't know who was playing. Great. Good job, Dylan. Great. Great. Uh, Mike Wallace, though, right? Who? Or, or oh my God, the newscaster. Now I'm bugging on it. Yes, there's a, th- there is a newscaster with the last name Wallace. No. Wolf Blitzer. Um, go ahead, Andrew. Marcellus. Who is it? <laughs> Mar- Marcellus Wallace. Hey, good one. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to hear the other ones? Yes. All right. There was reference to a poet born in Reading, Pennsylvania in 1879. That's Wallace Stevens. Mm. There was the reference to two plays called One Flea Spare and Slaughter City. That's Naomi Wallace. I didn't expect you to get that, but I was in One Flea Spare, and I thought Bailey maybe cared about that and would remember that that was written by Naomi Wallace. I don't care. (laughs) Um, A reference to a notoriously good performer. Christopher Wallace is the real name of the notorious Uh B.I.G. Dylan did get Rashid Wallace. Uh, There was another member, uh, probably um, more identified with the Pistons, Ben Wallace. And the last two are references to newscasters, Chris Wallace of Fox News and Nicole Wallace of MSNBC are both currently on the air. And again, I just thank you so much for playing this stupid, stupid game. You know what? It's really hard to say who wins Mm. because I think we all win because we played and shared something together, but Bailey crushed you. With a score of five to one to one. Scoreboard. Oh, boy. But again, it's the journey, not the destination. Well, (laughs) I am the stupidest winner. I'm the winner of stupid. Yay. Yay. I love that game. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, that was a great game. Thanks, Andrew. You're welcome. Um, All right. Well, now's the time on the podcast that usually we have... Dylan choose books at random via a random number generator. It would be time for the choosing. Choosing. The choosing with a twist. Well, this week, basically, my powers have been usurped because oh. the fur uh, Billy. Yes. 
I didn't use a random number generator. I used a random number generator called our baby, Maggie. Yes. And I was in the room for this. This is why it's it's not random. This is not. Well, I mean, it is random because she picked it, but I, I, I know what the book is. Yeah. Literally, I have used her as a picking assistant sometimes. She's an intern over at the Choosing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she refused to let go of the book, Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. She loves that cover. She picked it off the shelf and brought it to me. Um, I will put Aww. pictures on Instagram so you guys can see, but it was very cute. It was very cute. Aww. I'm excited for this book. I don't, I know this is, you know, I think a Reese's Book Club pick, and I think it's a thriller. I'm not sure, but I know it was really popular a year or so ago. Um, so I'm excited. I think it will be a fast read. Reese Witherspoon hasn't steered you wrong before. It's true. And, you know, if Maggie likes the cover, to be fair, she does also like to pick Siddhartha off the shelf and walk around with that. So she's He's huge into the outsiders. <laughs> and then um, normally Toby would get a book chosen, but because the next episode that Toby will be reviewing on is close to Halloween, we decided. Ooh. We decided. The booze the <laughs> Dylan had a great idea, which is since we have a lot of Stephen King on our list, we could do a Stephen King spooktacular. <laughs> <laughs> So Toby has Skeleton Crew by Stephen King on his list. So he's going to read that. And then... Very excited. Bones, bones, bones. And then I have four Stephen King on my list. And we picked at random The Shining by Stephen King. Dun, dun, dun. Listeners, Pejos, if you are interested in participating in the Stephen King Spooktacular, you can start now on Skeleton Crew and The Shining. Yeah, and I'm really excited for you to read that, Bailey. I recommend all pages. I've read a lot of Stephen King, and The Shining is, I think, one of his best. It's, you know, one of his most famous, but it's the rare case where it's also one of his best. Check it out. In two weeks on the podcast, I'm going to be reading Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Andrew is reading a short story collection called American Salvage by Bonnie Jo Campbell. Um, And then two weeks after that will be our Stephen King spooktacular with Skeleton Crew and The Shining by Stephen King. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. Pejos, even if you're pedestrian and literal minded, <laughs> just like Bailey, we still love you. And please show your love for us by going on to your podcatcher of choice, uh, Apple iTunes, please, and rating us five stars. It really does help us uh, become more visible so more people can find the pod. And we really love to see the reviews. So thanks. And if you liked what you heard here and you want to help us find more listeners, perhaps uh, you and your significant other have a, another couple friend, <laughs> couple, uh, another <laughs> set of couples that you've grown and aged with, and you've basically had a, a great American novel worth of a life with. So tell your your friends uh, to check out this podcast. It really helps us out. Word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners. I love it. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books.